0: Give us your wisdom. You've promised that uh, although the cross is foolishness to the world, it is what saves us, but you've also promised that you will uh, promote wisdom and provide wisdom and teach wisdom to those who are in Christ, who are seeking you. And I pray that we will, we will be among those, that uh, we won't just uh, be satisfied with skipping along the surface of our Christian walk but we will want to uh, we will want to dive in deeper and we will want to receive from you. So open your word tonight. I pray for each of the requests that were lifted up here and for others that that uh, other prayer requests that may be out there for those that are watching on YouTube or others that were not left uh, expressed in this room verbally um, that you'll just take care of uh, these needs that we have for uh, vehicles being fixed and for our bathroom being fixed and for family needs and all of these other things. And I pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So, uh, if you'll turn over there to, uh, first Corinthians chapter one, believe it or not, we've been in chapter one for seven weeks. So I guess I'm going to take as long in first Corinthians as I did last time. Um, uh, But we'll see, one week of introduction and this is, I'm not gonna be in chapter one the whole time tonight, we're gonna bridge over to chapter two. But uh, let's pick up what the Apostle Paul was saying in verse 26, he said, "'For consider your calling, brothers, "'not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. "'Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. "'But God chose what is foolish in the world "'to shame the wise. "'God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let one who boasts boast in the Lord. And that's really the end of message here, the purpose of this, the reason that the Lord chooses whom he chooses is so that uh, people won't get to take the credit, right? Uh, that's, our, that's the nature of our salvation. Um, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one would boast. So religion says I'm going to build up credit with the divine and I'm going to somehow earn my way into heaven. But the gospel says Christ came down from heaven to give us the opportunity to have fellowship with God. Um, That's what the cross and the resurrection are about. And uh, throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, you see examples of this uh, where uh, there were those that didn't seem to have a whole lot going for them that God chose anyway. Consider Abraham and Sarah. They were old, they were childless, and yet Abraham was promised that they would become parents of a multitude and that their progeny would bless nations. And of course, now you have three major world religions that trace their lineage back to Abraham, the father of faith, right? Christians, uh, Jews, and Muslims. Consider Jacob, uh, the uh, grandson of Abraham. He was the second born of twins and his brother was favored more by their father, Isaac. Jacob was also a liar. In fact, that's what his name means, supplanter, right? It means uh, deceiver. Um, nonetheless, God chose him and raised him up and gave him 12 sons and changed his name to, was Jacob's name changed to? Israel. Israel, which is the name of the nation. Then uh, the 11th son of Jacob, was Joseph and he was the favored son, uh, a much belated child to uh, Jacob's beloved Rachel. And uh, when she finally had him, it's interesting because she had Joseph and she was already looking forward to another child. Joseph sounds like the Hebrew word for, and God will add, Mm -hmm. right? Which is really interesting because Jake, uh, excuse me, Joseph becomes somewhat of an accountant, right? Like he's the one that, that told Pharaoh, hey, this is what you should do during the, you know, the seven years of plenty, you should save everything up, <clears throat> and then you'll be able to uh, have enough supply so that when the seven years of famine comes, then you'll be able to, you know, give everybody's need. Now, here's what you should do, you should, you know, come up with a, a way to store all that. And Pharaoh said, hey, how about you? So that's essentially what he did. So it's interesting what the what the Lord does, but nonetheless. Uh, he was favored by his father, Jacob. Um, and Jacob made him the the famous coat of many colors. And he was constantly telling his brothers of his dreams, which ended up being prophetic dreams. But uh, Joseph ended up being quite unwise and boastful in telling his brothers about those dreams. So his brothers, a couple of them, apparently wanted him dead and... Uh, more ethical brothers and wiser said, "No, no, no. Let's not do that." And so they saw a group of Midian slave traders coming by, and they sold him into slavery. And that's how he made it to Egypt. And of course, he met up with his brothers again at the end and said, "Hey, what you meant to me for evil, God meant to me for good." Now he didn't let him off the hook and say, "You're, you know, uh, what you did doesn't matter." He said, "No, you did mean it to me for evil, but." God had a purpose behind it. God meant for me to me for good. Um, so during that time, I mean, he was in slavery. He was accused falsely of uh, of taking advantage of uh, the uh, the wife of his master. He was thrown into prison for a couple of years. He interpreted the dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials in prison, and uh, he knew one of them was going to die because of the dream. The other one was going to be restored, and he said, "Remember me when you come to Pharaoh." And the other guy just forgot about him. So this is, you know, God is taking these people that appear to be uh, low and despised and uncared for. And I don't know if you felt like that, right? And, you know, we can feel like the world is unfair and the world is unfair. You know, why do these people get, you know, the things that they get? Why did they get the uh, the credit that they get? They, you know, get the wealth that they get. They get uh, all of these things and, you know, and not me. Why Why is this happening? But in the end, God's got a purpose for all of this. Think about Moses. Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court after being rescued from death as an infant. Um, So all of the male children of the Hebrews in Egypt were supposed to be thrown into the water and drowned. And of course, Moses' mom, uh, his parents, uh, made a basket, a little boat out of pitch and put him in it, put a cover on it, floated it down the river and uh, Pharaoh's daughter, one of his daughters, is bathing in the Nile, sees the, um, the little boat with the baby in it, feels compassion for the baby, and says, oh, it's one of the Hebrew children, and she knows that her dad has said that they've all gotta die. So she decides to adopt him, and uh, lo and behold, there is Moses's sister who's carefully watching the basket all the way up, and she said, would you like a woman to nurse him? And she, the Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, why don't we do that? So they promptly returns Moses to his mother <laughs> who nurses him. So this is, you know, this is the way God works. We just, we just don't see it, right? And these are, but I'm trying to show you that these are not people who were favored. These are people who were uh, being treated unfairly. These are people who are in bad circumstances. Hannah was barren, but she was blessed by God to bear the first official prophet in Israel, Samuel. David was the youngest in his family. He was uh, apparently a handsome young lad, but he was the youngest, and he was out caring for the sheep. They didn't even call him in for the dinner when the prophet came in, uh, when Samuel the prophet came in to anoint a new king in Israel. And they're like, ah, he's the youngest. He's just out there caring for the sheep. But God chose him. So when he came in, that's what the Lord told Samuel. Uh, Elizabeth, let's go to the New Testament, was beyond childbearing years. And uh, of course, she had been barren up until that point. But God blessed her with John, who we call John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, about whom Jesus declared, there is none greater born among women than John. And then Jesus' mother, Mary, was a young teenager and a virgin, but God used her to become the earthly mother of his only begotten son, Jesus. Mary's song called the Magnificat says it all. Listen to this. This is from Luke 1, 46 through 55. And I think this displays God's plan to choose the low and the ignoble and the despised to bring honor to himself. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Question now in application here is what will God do in your life if you will just humble yourself and believe? What does the Scripture say? First Peter five six, also repeated in James four ten. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, and He will lift you up at the proper time. Now again, if you're coming Sunday, you'll get a double barrel dose of this. But uh, this is the this is the Baylor story. Um, you know, Baylor just won the national championship on Monday. And of course, everybody's tired of me posting about this and so forth. But it's not just that I went to Baylor. I did go to Baylor a long time ago. And I paid a lot of money and got a degree from there. Um, And I'm, I'm proud of them, but I'm proud of the culture that they created there. But what you might not know, or if you did know, perhaps you have forgotten, is that when Scott Drew, the coach who just brought them to the national championship came to Baylor, it was in 2003, and they were at the Nadir in their basketball program. Two players, and again, I'll I'll give more detail on Sunday, but two players had been involved in an altercation, they had been friends, and one of them murdered the other and left his body out to rot, literally, and then took his SUV back east, right? And then the coach at the time, Dave Bliss, uh, was trying to cover up things that he had been doing, payments that he had been making to players and trying to get people to change their testimony about what might have gone on with these two so that he could what? Save his own reputation. So um, I, you know, I don't know if I'll read it on Sunday or not, but I, I found the New York Times article uh, of that incident. And it's just the media loves scandal, but they really love a scandal when it concerns an ethical institution, a Christian institution. They just love to point out what hypocrites everybody is. And I can remember, you know, I, you know, you have all your Baylor gear and when something like that happens, you don't even, you don't even want to wear it, you know, and, and it's ridiculous because it's a great institution and there's so many things that are going on for it. But sports has come to play too important a role, to be honest with you. Um, It gets your your brand out there, if you will, into the national spotlight. Um, But in the end, it's just a game until you watch what has taken place. This was not an overnight success. All right. Scott Drew has been there for 18 long years, and he completely rebuilt that program that was Decimated by this. And at first, I mean, you know, they had a few players that stayed, but they were basically playing with walk ons. They didn't have a team. And it took them a long, long time to rebuild, obviously 18 years. So, you know, Baylor's been there. And then, of course, the same thing happened with the football team several years ago, right? I mean, we had a high flying football team, absolutely amazing. But once again, there were players that were just doing horrific things. And Briles, man, an incredible football coach as far as a football mind, but just really wasn't uh, paying attention to what those players were doing. And in the end, it's the culture that is created or allowed, right? And in both of those instances, the culture of those two teams, the basketball team that ended in 2003, and Art Briles's football team that was really, really competing at an extremely high level until all of this horrific stuff went down in, what was that, 2014, 15, right around there. And once again, Baylor is just being ripped apart in the media. I mean, Sports Center is just running these huge uh, uh, tell-alls about what, you know, these horrible things. Baylor lost everything at that point in time. Um, they lost their president. They lost their athletic director. Obviously they lost their football coach. Everything, right? And so I think that the Baylor story really fits what we're talking about here. God takes something, right? That has been disrespected, that has been debased and he elevates it, right? And. Thankfully, you know, Baylor did their own investigation in into these incidents, and in particular, the the more recent one, the the football uh, situation. Uh, they hired a, a legal team. Baylor investigated. This was an independent legal team, and, and the legal team found stuff that they weren't even Baylor wasn't even aware of. And so uh, the uh, the the regents just said, no, we can't have any of this. So they just cleared the board. So now. Uh, there's there's a completely different culture on campus as the result. But see, Scott Drew was there with that basketball team in the midst of that, still building this kind of culture that we're talking about, this culture of joy, Jesus, others, yourself, right? So even when you're in the midst of a situation that's, that's terrible, right? Uh, you know, perhaps, you know, you've got friends or co-workers or family members that are living in immorality and it's reflecting poorly on you, you can shine the light of Jesus and you can still love them, right? You can still treat them with courtesy and kindness and care without saying, hey, and I agree with what you're doing. We've got to learn that in this country. We've got to learn to agree to disagree. We're just not all going to agree about all these issues. And it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. We need to learn to treat each other with respect. Uh, There was a, uh, um, see, I don't know these guys' names. I see their faces when I'm going to the gym all the time. I see SportsCenter on, and it's these two guys. And one, one guy I know, his name is Stephen A. And he's always talking like this, right? And then there's another guy that's kind of his counterpoint, right? And they're just constantly on, talking, 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 you know, all the time. And so um, in my, uh, in my uh, feed, I noticed that Baylor had posted a Sports Center interview and it was those two guys and Scott Drew in the middle and Scott Drew was just smiling, just, just smiling. I thought, oh man, what did Stephen A say? Cause he is always, always talking down about that. Well, it was awesome because Scott Drew just smiled the whole time and pumped up his players and was courteous and kind uh, concerning Gonzaga. He said, Coach Few is a Hall of Fame coach and they've got a great program. And he's living it out, man. That's what I want to see, right? I don't care about win at all costs, that sort of thing. And uh, they're, uh, they're uh, the, uh, um, the main player for, for Baylor and the, the, um, the one that got the most valuable player of the tournament. Um, uh, his name escapes me right now, but I mean, he came out and just, you know, very, very vocally, uh, praised the Lord. You know, it, it, you can talk, right? So you get people that, you know, they have a Christian reputation, that's their brand. And so they talk, but I'm not, I seriously doubt that all of these players are living this completely sterling Christian life. That just doesn't, Happen right? But on the whole, that's what they're representing, this culture of joy, it's completely different. And so that fits into what we're talking about here because Baylor was on the bottom, the bottom of the bottom of the bottom in their basketball program and then in their football. And the football program is still in the process of rebuilding. I mean, they've got this amazing stadium and everything that they built under Briles because uh, of how well they did. And then it just got decimated. And so that's in a rebuilding process. So see, I I, I want you to see that I'm not talking about my university. I'm not talking about sports. I'm not talking, uh, you know, uh, about uh, basketball or football. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about how God takes people who are experiencing difficulty, who are at the bottom looking up, and he helps them up. And if we're willing to follow him, he leads us out of the pit of despair. And that's certainly happened with Baylor twice, twice now in the last uh, 20 or so years. And uh, I pray that you can see that the Lord is doing that for you. Um, here is a, a quote from uh, from William Barclay. He said, the quotation which Paul finishes this passage is from Jeremiah 9:23, And that, the, that quote is, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what he's talking about. Uh, as a commentator put it, the one basic sin is self-assertion. Now we certainly see that in sports. We see that all over this country. It's all about me. It's all about promoting my brand, right? I'm better than you. Um, we see it in you know sports, top to bottom, right? Might be martial sports like the UFC. You know, uh, you know, one fighter saying that the other guy is nothing and so forth, or. Uh, many times, you know, NBA or or college or whatever, you see them putting the other team down. Baylor didn't do that, right? But that's the fundamental human sin, self-assertion or the desire for recognition. It is only when we realize that we can do nothing that God can do, can and will do everything. And it is only then that real religion begins. That's what this commentator said. It is the amazing fact of life that it is the people who realize their own weakness and their own lack of wisdom who in the end are strong and wise. It is the fact of experience that those who think that they can take on life all by themselves are certain in the end to meet with disaster. Wow, so in fact, there's a proverb about that. Proverbs 16, 18, my karate kids memorize it. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. All right, let's move on to chapter two. Um, This is chapter two, verses one through five in the ESV. And when I came to you brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus, excuse me, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So it seems then that the Apostle, the Apostle Paul uh, followed the KISS method in preaching the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Keep it simple, silly. No eloquent speeches, no fancy words, just Jesus Christ and him crucified we are perhaps losing the world because we've moved away from the simple and practical proclamation of the gospel and speaking of salvation, and we've moved into an era where we think we need to entertain people, right? Uh, Listen to the most popular preachers in the the world today and you'll strain to hear even the barest refrain of the gospel in their sermons and talks. It's a me-centered message. It's a consumer-oriented message. And honestly, you have to ask yourself, why do I come to church, right? Is it about me? Is it about what I want to get out of it? Um, To preach other than a me-centered message, Mm -hmm. something that says, hey, here's something for you, here's what you can get out of it, is to risk having nobody show up. So we're witnessing a departure from the gospel for messages Uh, in favor of messages centered on political topics, be they uh, on the right or on the left. And Jesus is a brand for many of these preachers, not the Lord of their message. But Jesus is not a Republican, he's not a Democrat, he's not a socialist, a leftist, a liberal or conservative. Christ is Lord of all and we need to follow him. Not the agenda of a particular group, political, religious or otherwise. Following Jesus will entail familiarizing ourselves with his teaching as found in the New Testament and then obeying it. Following Jesus will involve praying without ceasing and permitting the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to direct us to the right choices. Following Jesus is abiding in him moment by moment each day, taking every thought captive to make it obey him. Abiding in Christ is loving him above all and loving others as we love ourselves. This is the result of believing in the gospel of the kingdom. That is the basic message. That's what we start with. That's what we pursue, right? And I believe that we can apply this gospel to every situation in people's lives. The cross of Christ represents his accomplished work. Jesus is not still on the cross, right? So I always point behind me at the the stage because we have a cross back there, but the curtain is closed. So I know that pointing back there and you're just going to look at a curtain. But there is a big cross back there and I hauled it out on the square on Easter. I take it off the wall and haul it out there once uh, a year. And I really appreciate what Jesus did when he hauled the cross up Calvary because that thing is a beast. In fact, uh, we have a camera that uh, I, it's a security camera that I use in here, and I knocked it off and broke the plug on it when I was bringing the camp, bringing the cross out there uh, on Sunday morning. It's a beastly big thing, but I want you to notice, Jesus is not still on it. Easter, as important as the crucifixion is, it's central, it's essential, but it's not the end. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. That's why we celebrate. That's why we have the hope of eternal life, right? Um, so the cross represents Christ's accomplished work. That's what the apostles saying. He said, I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there is wisdom behind that as well, an application for us, where we recognize that Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. He represents you. And so you and I need to realize that what Jesus taught is essential to the gospel. He said, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you can't even be my disciple. But see, that's not what you hear in a consumer Christian environment because that's hard, that's harsh. That's saying that I've got to die to self. I've got to die to self assertion. I've got to die to self aggrandizement. I've got to die to selfish ambition self-promotion, I've got to put Jesus first, right? So that JOY acronym, listen, that's, that's old school preacherism right there, man. I mean, when I first came to faith and that's been a long time ago, all right, 43 years ago, I can remember hearing that in church. The old preachers used to say that, you wanna have joy in your life? You need to put Jesus first and then you need to put others next and then yourself last. Well, that's what the scripture teaches right? In uh, Philippians chapter two, and again, you're going to come to church Sunday and you're going to hear all this again. So, you know, it's a double barrel. Um, But in uh, Philippians chapter two, I don't know if I just said Ephesians, Philippians chapter two, uh, there's a very, very important passage. The apostle Paul said, um, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being found in appearance as a man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? And then, so that God might exalt him above everything and everyone else, so that at the name of Jesus, every uh, knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. You and I follow Christ. We follow him up Calvary, we follow him to the cross. You and I need to see ourselves as being nailed to that cross. The Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And in fact, some translations will take that uh, that perfect tense in the Greek and appropriately translate it as a present because it means it's something that began in the past but continues into the present, right? So uh, some translations will translate uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. And no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. You see, you might think, well, that's just kind of an option. I'll have to think about that. No, it's not. That is a reality if you are in Christ and it is not if you are not. So what you need to do is you need to reckon it. You need to account it. You need to acknowledge it. And then you will realize that Jesus is above all, it is his will that I'm seeking, not mine, right? And then I love God with all that I am and then I love my neighbor as myself. I don't merely seek my own personal interests, but I seek the interest of others. There's the other, right? That's the message right here that's being preached, right? The Apostle Paul said, this is the message I preached to you. Um, and yet, as I said a, a moment ago, you know, turn on the radio, turn on the TV and watch some of these folks on uh, you know, TBN or uh, whatever the other, I always forget the other one, Daystar. And you know, it's like uh, some of the most prominent preachers and you know, it's like five steps to, you know, to live a happier life or something like that. You know, your best life now. You missed it all together, man. It's it, Happiness is not the prime product. Happiness is not what we seek. You say, well, I just want to be happy. No, because if that's what you seek, it's elusive. You'll never lay hold of it. It's like trying to get a fistful of water. You can't. Happiness is a byproduct. And when you live for Jesus, and then you let him give you the the strength and the courage and the ability to, uh, to give to other people, to be unselfish, And then you put yourself last, and you gotta take care of your needs, right? But you recognize that the Lord is going to give you the ability to do that. He's gonna provide for you. And that's why we can do all these things that Jesus told us we needed to do. Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, why would I do that? Right, this is somebody that's seeking my destruction, that's seeking to harm me. I'm trusting that God's gonna take care of me, right? So uh, don't take revenge. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul, he's quoting the Old Testament when he says this in Romans, right? Um, you know, don't take revenge. Don't don't go out and try to get someone back, right? But love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Care for those that are mistreating you, right? Um, you know, the Apostle Paul said, treat them kindly and it will be like pouring hot coals on their heads. So um, there is a, uh, uh, there's a TV series, if you will, that is being produced right now through an outfit called Angel Productions. It was VidAngel, and I can highly recommend this uh, uh, this service. Um, just look it up. Just type in VidAngel, V-I-D-A-N-G-E-L, and you can subscribe to this service, and it will let you filter out the bad stuff in many movies. So, it's amazing what we're willing to put up with just so that we can watch a particular movie, right? Um, you know, this movie has an excessive amount of violence or or nudity or sexual content or language or whatever. The beauty of this vid angel service, now it won't work with every movie because some of these uh, these movie companies are, uh, are at odds with them. But many movies, you can, it'll just tell you. And I mean, it gets in detail. It gets... Like, you know, if you don't want to see anything, I don't know why you'd be watching the movie anyway, but it's just like, you know, it it says, uh, immodesty. There was a male with his shirt off. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well that's, yeah, I (laughs) guess, you know, um, that type of thing, but it, you know, it will let you cut out just, you know, the, the crud. So I played, um, the, uh, the Spider-Man movie for some of our children and, um, the first one, and the first one has got a few things in it that are objectionable. Uh, there's, uh, there, there's Flash, and he likes to call Peter Parker a certain word that refers to the male anatomy. And I just could imagine our children hearing that and repeating it over and over. And I was like, no, I'm good. Click, not even there anymore. Uh, there's, I think there's like one or two F words in that one even, right? Yeah. And I think it's by the, uh, uh, what's the villain, uh, the, the Falcon or something, was it? The vulture. There you go. I think. I think it's him. But dude, I get to click. They're gone. It just bounces right over him, or it just boop, You know, it's awesome. There's one scene where uh, he basically incinerates this guy with this alien weapon, and the guy just explodes into a blob or whatever. It's like I don't want our kids watching that. Guess what? Didn't have to watch it. It's gone, right? But they do. Um, they are uh, behind Dallas Jenkins producing this series called The Chosen. And uh, it's very, very well done. You can watch the whole first season and the first episode of season two is available. Um, again, you can watch it through their platform. Um, if you'll just, just The Chosen, angel, all that, I, I really highly recommend it. But uh, it presents Jesus the way Jesus is, treating others better than yourself. So Jenkins is really good at showing uh, the humanity of these disciples, right? They're not all walking around uh, like they're saints, like they argue with each other. And he's presenting James and John the way scripture presented James and John. They were kind of bossy. And uh, they, at one point, uh, the Samaritans were mistreating Jesus and his followers because they were Jews passing through Samaria. And uh, John said, do, we, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? And Jesus, in the scripture, Jesus said, you don't know, no, you don't know what spirit you are of. Well, in the series, you know, he he's creating a story here with all sorts of things that are not in scripture, um, that are just trying to present people and characters. But in this episode that I just finished watching, uh, Jesus has James and John go out and plow a field for this guy that's a Samaritan, right? Because they don't like the Samaritans. And then the way Jenkins wrote it, uh, the Samaritan whose field that they, they plowed was crippled because he was the guy that waylaid the Jew in Jesus' story of the good Samaritan, right? And so Jesus forgives him and heals him and all these sorts of things. The point is not that we want to add some story to scripture that didn't happen, but it's presenting Jesus as somebody who puts others before himself, right? So at one point, Jesus is standing there with James and John on either side of him, and the Samaritans come by and they throw rocks at him. And James and John want to bow up and go fight him. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. See, we're this is the love your enemies thing, right? And uh, you know, in this series, in the, in the show, Jesus says, um, we're here to plant seeds that will last for generations. You know, what's going to happen when you, you know, call fire down from heaven and, and burn these people up? He said, like, well, you, what are you trying to do? I just thought this is such a timely message. This is why we need to follow Jesus, right? And that is the message of the cross, right? Um, I believe we can apply the gospel to every situation in people's lives. The cross of Christ, represents that accomplished work that is his salvation, healing, deliverance, and restoration, the fulfilling life that God intended and designed his children to live. That's why we're called life well, right? The woman at the well, that passage from John chapter four is the basis, but use the term both ways, right? As a noun, a well that holds water, the water of life, and as an adverb, living life well, right? So eternal life is not just everlasting life. It's God quality life. It's rich, satisfying, purposeful, fulfilling life. It's a life of interaction and intimacy with the God who created persons and gives life. Um, that's what we're made for. I'm not on earth to build up my life uh, and to you know, build my kingdom. Um, that's like building sandcastles on the beach. They're all going to be washed away with the incoming tide. I'm on earth to make a decision to give my life up in trade for a God who designed life, a life lived for Jesus Christ, a life lived in surrender to the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. This is where we're headed. And this is uh, uh, where we're headed with this teaching and the activity of this church teaching everyone to live life well by applying the teaching of Jesus and helping people to discover the fulfilling life the Holy Spirit uh, will bring into each of their lives and extending that into every area of life and family and finances and work and school and health and fitness and recreation and fun, the Holy Spirit should fill us in every area of our lives. But it all starts by following Jesus to and through that cross. Paul said his message was not one of mere logical argument or persuasive speaking, but what the apostle preached was proven by the Holy Spirit's power. Here's how Barclay translates verses four four and five. This is William Barclay. It was by the Spirit and by power that they were unanswerably demonstrated to be true so that your faith should not depend on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And then Barclay writes, the word he used... um, Uh, for logical proof, is the most stringent possible proof, the kind against which there can be no argument. What was it? It was the proof of changed lives. Guys, that's what I want to see. Right? We can talk all we want. Uh, You know, we can come to church and we can do all these things, but in the end, it's about changed lives. It's about seeing someone whose life was in shambles, who receives Christ, and is transformed. It's about somebody who was walking down a dark, desperate road who turns around and starts following Jesus out into the light, and their life is holy and whole and fulfilled. Um, one of my former students posted a picture of himself uh, standing with his family on Facebook. Um, his, uh, his name is his, uh, uh, Bill Grenance, and... Uh, I can still remember when he was, I don't know, 16, 17 year old, tall, skinny kid. And the first official youth service that I had at First Baptist Church in the Colony, he came forward and said, I committed my life to Christ. He's been following Jesus ever since. He's a Baylor alum, he's married, he has this huge family now, and he's the pastor of a church and has been for 20 years. And I said, you know, I, I I can still remember. You know, I posted. I can still remember that, you know, that tall, skinny kid coming and telling me that. And I said, uh, you know, telling me that he committed his life to Christ. And I said, and what a life you've had! What a life he's given you, you know. And he said, you know, thanks, D. And of course, that's when they all started calling me D. It was back then. I that whole Pastor D thing wasn't something. Hey, I think I need to be a cool pastor. What should I call <laughs> myself? Well, call myself Pastor. Now these kids started calling me D back in the 80s. I was like, D, am I a gangster? <laughs> so then when I started this church, I was like, well, okay, I guess I can be Pastor D. But anyway, they still, these, you know, they're in their 40s now, like rolling up on, he's probably getting close to 50 now. Um, but that's a transformed life. I, I look at somebody, you know, like Craig or somebody like Rachel. I knew them when they were kids, Right. And they've hung on to Jesus and I've seen those lives transformed and I've seen that's the reward, right? Money, no, okay? Uh, You know, fame, being known, no, it's about changed lives. That's what we need to see. And the gospel presents people with the opportunity to have faith in the God who will change their life. That's what I want us to see. Um, When God's word is preached, something happens. It can't just be words. We can't just be getting in arguments about theology. Right? Well, I don't know about the Trinity. I don't know if I believe in that or not because it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, it's God is above and beyond us. It's not meant to make sense to you. Right? Um, there's plenty of plausible argument for the, the Trinity, but in the end, it is uh, a paradox. And you have to hold this one in three intention. That's just one example, right? There are many things that that you know people uh, hold over God. But the Word of God is transformative. Words alone don't cut it. And so I pray that the Lord will work, work mightily uh, through me and through Craig and uh, through anyone and everyone that teaches in this church. And uh, yeah, I hope that you will you'll pray for the same thing. Okay. All right, so um, what I think I'm gonna do here, uh, we've reached a transition point because what, uh, even though we went to chapter two, I've told you before that uh, chapter and verse divisions uh, happened far, far after these books were written and verses one through five really are carrying on the thought that Paul begun in chapter one where he said, I'm not calling these noble and wise people with noble speeches and so forth. Um, but now we're gonna make a transition into uh, another argument and some other things that the Apostle Paul is gonna say. And so I think what I would like to do is just go ahead and end early here and, uh, and jump into that next week, right? So uh, yeah, I know I don't always end early. Usually I go a little late, don't I? Uh, but I think we're gonna conclude here and uh, let's seek to be the people that God transforms And let's seek to be the witnesses who will speak that transformative word